Good morning, Good News Church. Um, so my name is Jite. Um, I am one of the worship interns here at our church. So will you please stand with me for today's word, reading with God's word. We will be reading um, from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Will you please bow your heads so we can pray? Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you, God, that you are here, God. I thank you for what you've done so far today, Heavenly Father, God, in all the different services. I pray, God, that you would continue to work in our hearts. God, I pray, God, that you would be with Nicholas as he comes up here, God, and preaches today. I pray, God, that we would be open to whatever it is that he is preaching. Our ears and eyes would be open and that you would just have your way. You may pray. Amen. Hi, Lauren. Heaven, heaven, name. The kingdom come. I will begin. I will forgive the heaven. Give us a gay, a gay wreck, a gay sense. As we grow others, as your kingdom come. had to take advantage of a proud dad moment there. <laughs> oh, my name is Nicholas. I'm, a, I'm the communications director here. I'm not a pastor. And, uh, and because it's, it's Pastor Appreciation Sunday, my number one goal today is to make sure that by the end of the message, you really appreciate your pastors and their preaching. Uh, they'll be back next week. <laughs> um, but I actually, to be honest, so, so this morning, I, I'm, I'm a little nervous to uh, to talk about prayer because I I think a lot of people in our church honestly a lot of you are much better at praying than I am uh, our church really knows how to pray we're known for prayer in, in the city we're known as a church that that loves to pray we have an amazing prayer ministry and shout out to Pastor Chris our prayer and care pastor yeah absolutely. 
She has an amazing prayer team. We have weekly prayer services every Wednesday night at 6.30. You can come here and pray. We have a prayer room that's open. You can come every single day of the week. You can pray at 6 a.m., noon, and 6.30. We have these prayer meetings down there. Our church knows how to pray. And, 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 and we really know how to pray those persistent prayers. You know, Jesus compares prayer to, to knocking on the, someone's door in the middle of the night. You know, you don't knock on someone's door unless one of two things. You either are totally desperate and you just don't care. Or you have such a close relationship with them that you know how they're going to respond. And our church knows how to do that. We know how to pray those knock on the door in the middle of the night, persistent sort of prayers. And Jesus wants us to. He's giving us permission to. What I'm really fascinated by in this, in this passage is the disciples' question to Jesus. They, they ask Jesus, they see him praying, and they come to him and they say, teach us how to pray the way that John taught his disciples. And that makes me think, uh, hadn't they heard him pray? Had, had the disciples heard Jesus pray before? Well, sure. They're traveling around all over Galilee. They're with him every day. They're all good Jewish men. Uh, they, they pray daily, sometimes a couple times a day. They'd go to, to temple and pray, and, and uh, they, they'd heard Jesus pray. But something about the way that Jesus was praying was was unique. It wasn't just going through the motions. It was something that they couldn't just pick up by, by seeing it modeled. They had to have it taught to them. And I think that that's really interesting. And, and that resonates with me because there's been times where I've felt like the disciples. And, uh, and today I'm going to share a little bit of my own story. And, and my story might be similar to yours, but it might be very different. I want to talk about my own relationship to prayer and, and to this prayer in particular. See, I grew up in a church really similar to Good News. Um, I was taught at an early age how to pray. Uh, I learned early on that, that prayer, it's not just talking to God, it's talking with God, right? And we can bring anything to God. and we can, we, It's a relationship. We can talk to God about anything, at any time, anywhere. And God wants to talk to us as well. And, and when I was seven years old, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I, I've been praying in the Spirit ever, ever since. That's been an active part of my prayer life. But as an adult, I, I started to feel like even though I had been taught how to pray, even though I knew how to pray, I've been praying my whole life, I still really didn't know how to pray. My, when I spent time with God in my prayers, they just started to feel lifeless. And I, I, I didn't want to pray. I didn't want to spend time in prayer. Um, and when I did pray, my words ended up being more about me and my needs than about God. And, and, uh, and I just started to not look forward to that. And then uh, in the Lord's Prayer itself, it had, it had never been really an active part of my life. You know, I knew what it was, but um, I was always taught that it's, it's just, it's an example prayer. It's kind of a structure for prayer, and it's good, but, um, but we didn't really say it in our home. Uh, I didn't, we didn't pray it in our church. You know, that's something that the old religious, more traditional churches did, but, you know, our church didn't do that. We're, we're, we're Pentecostal, you know, right? You know what I'm talking about. Um... But about a year ago, I, I, just, I just started saying the prayer. I was just like, I, I'm going to dive into this prayer and just, just see what happens. And so I started using it as a, a, as a part of my, my regular prayer life. I'd maybe start with it or end with it. Um, I started praying it every day and then sometimes maybe a couple times a day. Maybe I'd pray the prayer and then pray in the Spirit and then pray about some other stuff. Um, and as I did it, 
I realized that, that in trying to avoid becoming religious and, and ritualistic, I'd actually missed out on a, on a rich history of the way that, that Christians have been praying prayers since the time of Jesus. And, and as I started to pray the prayer, a new life came into my prayers. I started wanting to pray more. I started to, to make more connections and see what God was doing through this prayer and realize that it's so much bigger and deeper than I, than I realized. And now, honestly, I, I think I pray more now than I ever did when I was younger. Um, I, I really believe that this prayer um, can, can transform us. That the Lord's Prayer, um, when, when it's not just done in a ritualistic way, but, but, but when we really see the meaning and the life behind it, that it can change and transform the way we pray, but also the way that we think. You see, if we look at the structure of it, um, uh, it's actually it's broken up in two parts. The first half of the, the prayer are about God and His needs, right? The second half is about us and our needs, and that follows the greatest commandment. Love God and love others. This is what Jesus was constantly bringing up. And I think that when we learn to pray this way, we learn to think the way that Jesus thought about things. And here's the really crazy thing. Um, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that I, I actually think that when Jesus said, pray like this, that he really meant it. Right? I know it's crazy. I think we're actually supposed to say the prayer. Um, not in a religious way, but in a way that we can be transformed. I mean, look at, the, look, at the, look at the structure of it. It's structured like a poem. Are there any teachers here? Right? What do you do if you want to make sure that someone remembers something? You set it to music, right? You turn it into a song or into a poem. You give it a rhythm and a structure. And these aren't just some random petitions that were strung together. It has a flow and a structure. I think that Jesus totally intended for for his first followers to learn this prayer, to say this prayer, to get it inside of them. And so that when he was gone, they could be transformed. But are, are we transformed just by saying the words? Just by going through the motions? No, no, no. What did Jesus say at the end of the passage that we read today? What, would, what did Jesus say he would do, that, who he would send when we prayed this way? The Holy Spirit. Right, totally. So we do the praying, we, do, we obey, and, and then the Holy Spirit does the transformation. Right? So, so we don't just pray in a lifeless, ritualistic sort of way, but we pray knowing and trusting that the Holy Spirit will transform us by, by the gospel here. You see, it has, has the good news built right into it. Right? And I believe that as we pray this prayer, we will become good news people. Right? So here's my goal today. Um, for some of you, you're just learning how to pray. Um, and, and maybe you've never prayed before. And the Lord's Prayer is a really great place to start because it kind of gets you thinking the way that Jesus, Jesus thought. Um, but others of you, you've been praying a long time, right? You know how to pray. And you have a lot that you could teach me about those knock on the door in the middle of the night, persistent sort of prayers, right? But I want to challenge you to look at the Lord's Prayer as more than just uh, a, a, a bunch of words that we say, but to see that it is bigger and richer and deeper than we might have thought before, that it's not just a place to start, but it actually can grow with us and that we can see that, that the gospel is baked right into the prayer. 
So we're going to go through the prayer today, but one, I want to give you a quick resource. If you want to dive deeper into prayer, there's a really great book. It's really small and simple. It's by a guy named N.T. Wright. He's uh, one of my favorite New Testament scholars, but he wrote this great book called The Lord and His Prayer. And so uh, I think we might have that up there. Um, and, and so check out this book if you want to dive deeper into some of the stuff we're going to talk about today. All right, so let's look at the prayer. Uh, the first line of the prayer says, Our Father. This is important because the way that we address people really matters. You know, I've got I have a way that I refer to my wife that is different than the way I refer to my kids or to my friends, right? The way we address each other matters. When we're around the house, my, my wife and I, we usually just call each other babe. Hey, babe. Hey, can you do this thing, babe? Uh, but, you know, it'd be really weird if I came to work and called Pastor Raphael babe right? That'd be awkward. Uh, Because how we address each other matters, and it has meaning, and it shows uh, the type of relationship that we have. And Jesus is saying that, 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 that the way that we address God matters. And when Jesus talks to God, he calls him Father. And this had been done a little bit before. We see this in the Psalms, but it was never really emphasized until Jesus' ministry. He especially highlights this because he's saying something about his relationship to the Father. He's saying something about his identity, but it's not only about his identity. It also says something about who God is. Because Jesus said that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? See, Jesus knows that Some of us are going to have a lot of ideas, maybe complicated ideas about what it means to be a father, right? Some of you have difficult, complicated relationships with your father, and Jesus knows that. He also knows that we're going to have complicated ideas that have been influenced by culture and and the world around us about who God is. And Jesus wants us to think about God the way we think about him. That, that somehow this loving, merciful, self-sacrificial father-son relationship that we see in Jesus is the most perfect picture of who God is. But there's one other thing that it shows us. Um, anybody know what the first time was when God referred to people as his children? It was in Exodus 4. See, uh, Moses is, is talking to God. It's the whole burning bush scene, right? And, and, and uh, God is telling him to go to Pharaoh. And he says, thus says the Lord, tell Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. Let my son go so that he may worship me. See, when Jesus says to call God our father, he's talking to people that lived, to Jews who lived in the first century, who are saturated in the scripture. And if they have ears to hear, they're going to hear that, and they're going to think of the time when, when God referred to his people as his firstborn son. They're going to remember the exodus, and they're going to remember when God brought them out of slavery. And this is a theme Jesus is constantly bringing up in his ministry. The idea that that he is leading the new exodus. He is bringing all people out of slavery. So when we refer to God as our father, it is relational. But it's also about, uh, about liberty. About the freedom from slavery and the promised land that God is taking us to. Two words. Our father. But there's so much there, all right? All right, so let's keep going. Uh, Second phrase, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is a weird word. 
We don't say that a whole lot, except around Halloween, right? That kind of comes from the same place. Um, hollow just means holy. This, may your name be holy. And, and what, is, what is God's name? Uh, uh, does God have a name? Yeah, totally. God has a name, and it's not just God. Uh, God revealed his name to someone in the Bible. Anybody know who that was? Moses. I heard somebody say it. Yeah, Moses. Back to Moses again. That's interesting. Okay, okay. So Exodus 3, burning bush scene, same scene, right? Uh, Moses is saying, who, who should I say has sent me? And what does God say? I am. He says, I am. Tell him I am has sent you. And then right after that, he says, say to the Israelites, Yahweh, the God of your fathers has sent you. This is my name. And it will, uh, this is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. God's name is Yahweh. But it's not just, just the name. God's name means something. It's about his character. It's about who he is. And if we jump to the end of Exodus, Moses is back on the mountain having an experience with God. And he says, God, show me your glory. Show me your presence. Show me who you are. Show me everything. And God says, nobody can see my face and live. But I'll do you one better. I will let my goodness pass before you. And then I will declare my name before you. We're going to see his name, Yahweh, comes back here. So the next morning, Moses climbs up the mountain and has this life-changing experience with God where God reveals not just his name, but his character, what he is like. And then in, in, in chapter 34, verse 6, uh, and he, God, passed in front of Moses proclaiming, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. What is happening here? God is proclaiming his name and he's telling Moses what it means. This is what God's name means. This is God's character. This is what God is like. He's a compassionate, gracious, loving, forgiving God. But he is also just. He doesn't let the wicked go unpunished. And now Jesus, back to the prayer, Jesus is saying, let my name be holy. See, somehow... God's name has become unholy. His character has been forgotten. And Jesus wants us to remember right up front about what his character is. This is what God is like. Next line, your kingdom come. The full, the full phrase in Matthew is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is exciting. I love this. This is so big. Um, okay, I know we're, we've taken a little break from Luke, but we're back now. And so let's do a quick review. What was the number one thing that Jesus talked about during his ministry more than anything else? The kingdom. All right, you guys have been listening. This is my favorite service. I love it. All right, the kingdom of God. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God more than anything else. And, uh, and what is the kingdom of God? It's the rule and reign of Christ. Uh, Dallas Willard says it this way, God's kingdom is the range of his effective will, where what he wants done gets done. 
See, Jesus is going around proclaiming that God's will, God's kingdom is coming to earth. It's heaven to earth. And he wants us to pray that that would happen, right? He wants to pray that it will continue to happen. Uh, But many times uh, our prayers aren't actually going in that direction. Sometimes we pray, God, take me to heaven. God, uh, as if the, the, the goal was to get off of this old bad earth and into the new perfect heaven. But that's not how Jesus tells us to pray. See, I think that this way of praying or thinking sometimes comes from, I don't know, maybe mixed up ideas from culture about heaven being some magical place in the clouds somewhere. Uh, But it's not what the Bible actually says. See, when the Bible talks about heaven, heaven is, it's just God's space. Heaven is where God is. And earth is our space. And rather than being way, way, way far apart, there are times when God's space and our space intermingle and overlap, right? Uh, There's two really important places in the Old Testament where where this happened. Uh, they They start with a T. Anybody can guess what these places are called? It's the tabernacle and the temple. These are physical spaces where God's presence came and intermingled and, and, we, and God's presence was known in real physical space. And, uh, and then uh, there's, the prophets talk about a time where this is going to happen on a cosmic scale, where the glory of God will cover the earth as water covers the seas. And J- Jesus is bringing that about. Jesus is making that happen right now. He's going around preaching and announcing the good news that the kingdom of God is coming. It's breaking into earth, right? It's not the great escape. It's not about getting us off of this planet. It's about heaven coming here right now. And Jesus is saying it's happening. And the moment that that he died on the cross, the veil was torn. The temple veil was torn. And God's space, God's presence went out of the temple. And the temple was replaced. And what was it replaced with? What's the new temple? It's us. Yeah, it's us. The spirit of God comes into us. And now heaven and earth overlap. Right? Now, um... Has heaven come to earth right now in 2018? Yeah, totally, totally. Has heaven uh, covered and permeated every inch of our space? No, no, no. Just go outside and walk around or turn on the news. Like you can see, it's not, it's not everywhere, right? Has, has heaven come into you? Yeah, absolutely. The Holy Spirit. Has, has that same spirit been allowed to fully cover and transform and change every part of your life, your thinking, your actions? No, not yet. See, the future hope is a fully restored world, a new heavens and new earth with, with new, uh, new, new bodies where, where we're thinking and acting and doing the things that God always intended us to do. And that's why, although heaven has come to earth, we live in this middle ground between, uh, between where we were and where we're going. And Jesus says, pray that. Pray for that to happen, heaven to come to earth. All right, um, so, so let's look, look at the, the, the next line. Uh, give us this day our daily bread. I think this is brilliant. Uh, Jesus is, is, is just, is just so, is so smart here. Not, not just because he's God, but because he's Jewish and he knows who he's talking to. He knows that the people that he's talking to will remember a time when, uh, when they depended on God for daily bread. Right? Do you remember that? 
what was it called? Manna. Somebody got it. Yeah, I love it. Uh, uh, there was a time. So, so God had brought his people out of slavery. We're back to Moses again. What is the deal? He brought his people out of slavery. And, and they're on their way to the promised land. And in between, they needed to depend on God. Because they're in the desert. They're in the wilderness. And there's nothing. And so God starts to provide for them every single day. They wake up. And they see this flaky bread-like substance. It's called manna. And, and God tells them, go out and get what you need that day for your bread. And, and they do it. Um, and, and, but then sometimes they try to take more. They try to take enough for the next day, the next day after that. And then, and then what happens? Yeah, spoils. It goes bad. It goes moldy or something, right? Um, so, so God wants to create in his people a rhythm of daily dependence on God, right? So I think that that's really interesting because sometimes our prayers are in a different direction. And I'll be honest, this one's a little tough for me because I've got those two kids, right? I'm married. I live in America. Um, I've got a house. Um, and, and sometimes my prayers are in God... Uh, Give me everything I need for the next 10 years or 20 years. Uh, fill up my 401k. Make sure my savings account is, is well padded. But see, when Jesus teaches us to pray, he wants us to think in this daily rhythm of dependence on God. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't do some, you know, this wisdom to save and, and do all that. But when we pray, when we depend on God, it needs to be a rhythm. It needs to be something we do every day to depend on what we need. And to remember, it is in this in-between time between slavery and where we're going that we depend upon God. Forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I think it's really important to note the placement of this line in the prayer. See, sometimes we come to God and the first thing that we do is, is feel like, I just got to get forgiveness. That's the, that's the first thing. Sometimes it's the only thing we pray about. And, and, and I think sometimes the, the, the problem with bringing, to, the problem with feeling as if um, we have to get all of our junk figured out before we can come to God is that we can put ourselves and identify ourselves as the perpetual prodigal son. As if we're never good enough to come to God. When in fact, from the very beginning of the prayer, the good father has said, has, he's already halfway down the road running to embrace his son. Right? I think that, that says something about how we approach God. There's also this interesting clause here. This is the only line that has the second part, the clause. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. There is an interesting relationship between God's forgiveness of our sins and our forgiveness of others. See, forgiveness is a statement of loyalty to the kingdom. Forgiveness is what believers do. Uh, in our house, we're trying to teach our kids some things. And, and like if we're, we're trying to um, uh, teach them to, to wash their hands after they, they, they go potty, right? Um, we tell them, it's just what we do, right? It's this phrase, it's just what we do. Um, uh, and if they push this on it, and they say, no, no, it's not a big deal. It's just what we do. We're trying to make it become second nature and natural. And this is what forgiveness should be for believers. It's just what we do. 
right? We forgive because we've been forgiven. And, and to be honest, if we feel like we can't forgive, I have to wonder, have we really understood and experienced the fullness, the goodness of the forgiveness that God gave us? I mean, Jesus on that cross, looking, at, looking down at those who had betrayed him and turned against him, those who had beat him and, and, and who had murdered him, and he hangs there and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And it's at that moment that God forgives everyone once and for all. So why do we pray? Why do we pray, Father, forgive us? I think it might be because God wants us to closely tie our own action of forgiveness to what he has done. That He has set the example. He set the ultimate example. And now we take part in that forgiveness by forgiving others. Lead us not into temptation. Is God in the habit of tempting people? No, no, no. Temptation really just means trial or testing, right? Uh, and, and there's two times I can think of when Jesus was tested. There's the wilderness, right, where the, for 40 days his allegiance, his loyalty to the kingdom was tested. And then there's in the garden before he was arrested. And he said, don't, let this cup pass from me. Don't make me go through this, God, but your will be done. See, we pray, lead us not into temptation, not because we won't ever go through trials, but so that when we do, we know that he will deliver us. Because ultimately for Jesus, he did go through the trial. And even in his deliverance, even in God's deliverance of him, it required him dying. Right? We should think about that as we think about our own experiences and how we will be delivered from evil. We don't pray so that we never go through trials, but so that when we do, we know that God delivers us. And that's the prayer. That's the whole thing. It's like the gospel in a prayer. It's so big. There's so much there. And I really think that that Jesus wants us to get it inside of us. It's the good news. And when we pray it, we can become good news people. I think that when we pray it regularly, over time, we let the Spirit transform us and change us so that when we do face the trials, right? When someone hurts you or offends you, or you look at your bank account and it's empty, or you lose your job, or your spouse loses their job, right? When your kid is in the hospital, or when you lose somebody that you love, your first response will be, Our Father. And you know from the very beginning to the very end that God will deliver you because you put His priorities first. Now, there might be a number of different ways you could say it. Um, maybe you just do what I did and just start saying it and see what happens. Or maybe you pray one line and then, and then, uh, and then you, you pray a little bit more about that line. And then you pray another line a little bit more. Maybe you take one line every day and just sit with it and just see what happens. What if we spent an entire day just focusing on what it means for the kingdom of heaven to come to earth? So it might look different for you. But I believe that as we pray this prayer, it will transform us. If the ushers would come forward... We're going to do something a little different today. Um, In a moment, we're going to receive communion, and we're going to pray this prayer as a church.
And we're just going to see if we can let the Spirit transform us through this time. Could you stand with me? See, wherever you're at today, the ushers can go, go ahead. Wherever you're at today, if you've been praying your entire life or maybe you've never prayed, um, maybe you wake up every morning to pray at 6 a.m., right? Or maybe you forget to pray every morning at 6 a.m. Um, wherever you're at, I think that this prayer can transform us and change us. And, and so why are we doing it with communion? See, when Jesus wanted his followers to remember to pray, he gave them a prayer. But when he wanted them to remember his story, he didn't give them a story. He didn't give them a book. He gave them a meal. And as often as you do this, when you, when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And what I love about communion is that it's a reminder of the gospel message. It is the gospel message. The gospel is that God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we believe that when we pray, something happens. It's not just words. When we pray, your kingdom come, we actually believe that we have a foot in heaven and a foot in earth and that something is happening. Jesus enters into our story so that we can be a part of his. That's what we mean when we say we can be transformed by the story of Jesus. So let's pray this prayer. I'm going to say a line. And you repeat after me, but don't just let it be words. Let's sit with it and see what the Spirit is telling us through this. Our Father, hallowed be your name. May your name be holy, God. Remind us of your character, of who you are, what you are like, Father God. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, let heaven come to earth. Let your mission be known and recognized in our lives, God, in our actions, in our words, in every part of us, God. Let heaven come. Give us today our daily bread. God, creating us a rhythm daily provision, Father. Forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Remind us, God, that we are sons and daughters, and because we are sons and daughters, you've already run down the road to embrace us, Father God. And lead us not into temptation. but deliver us from evil. Father God, we just ask that through whatever trial, whatever tempting, whatever tribulation we experience, God, that we can depend on you, God. That even if we do not escape and we're not prevented from going through it, Father God, that you will deliver. You have delivered, Father God. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
Amen. You can take the bread and the cup. Father, just send your spirit right now. Send your spirit on us to transform us and change us, Father God, into the image of Christ. To become good news people. That as we say this prayer, as we eat this bread and drink this cup, that we we do proclaim who you are, Father God. And we enter into your story as you came into ours, Father God. Change us to be who you are, to be kingdom-minded people, Father God. We love you. We praise you. You are Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Just praise God. Uh, If you'd like to stay and pray, our altar workers are going to come forward. I just encourage you to leave this place and consider how the prayer can transform and change your life. Thank you.